Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Rob's Revisions. We are going to have a blast today. This is one of my favorite topics. I can't believe we have taken so long to get here, but I am excited to dive in to the art of comic books. That's what we're going to be talking about today is the art of comic books. I mean, come on. Without art, there are no comic books. This is the art of comic books is why I got into comic books. And uh Without the pictures, you're reading novels, something that um, some writers would be best to be reminded of uh, when they give us endless jabberfests of people talking because uh, the magic of comics is in the visuals. It always has been. It always will be. Uh, the absolute magic of all things comic books is, is, is from the variety of amazing artists who have combined to give us so many different worlds and characters and designs and pictures. And I've I've said before, um, when you are sitting in your chair watching the latest Marvel movie, the MCU, especially the last, you know, five years uh, when they were wrapping up, headed towards the endgame Infinity War saga. So when I go see those Marvel movies, what stands out to me, what I see first, what I see foremost is the artwork of Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby's designs on Thor Ragnarok are everywhere. They are in uh, the people standing in the Grandmaster's palace. They are people that are in the uh, stadium when Hulk and Thor are fighting. It's Hela. It's Loki. It's everything you see on Asgard. It's all of Asgard. I mean, Jack Kirby, his designs, his art is so prevalent in all of these films. And then if you get to Thanos, now you're in a Jim Starlin drawing, okay? Now you're looking at Jim Starlin visuals. But when you think of that Jack Kirby visualized all those costumes, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, uh, you know, uh, I mean, every character that you have reveled in was put to pencil by Jack Kirby. Now, how did he do it? He did it on paper, on, on, on giant oversized Bristol board sheets, which is traditionally how we draw the comic books. That is what I've been working on since I broke in. 11 by 17 has been the standard size since since before I broke in, but there used to be oversized pages. I don't have the exact dimensions, but when you see them, you'll see it's almost two 11 by 17 pages uh, in, in in put together vertically, horizontally. That they are giant canvases that 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 guys like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and Don Heck and and all of these bronze, silver, and bronze age artists. Uh, drew on, and 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 the the canvases are magnificent. There, you, you need an extra size portfolio to to display them at at the different conventions. And when I say I'm talking about the art of comics today, we are talking about the actual art of comics and what's happened in the culture, in 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 our in our business in in collecting is that that the these are the original art. The art by Jack Kirby, the art by Steve Ditko, the art by John Buscema, Neil Adams, John Byrne, my generation, Todd McFarlane, uh, Jim Lee, all of us. What's happened is that uh, that that these 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 original pieces of art are going for giant amounts of money at auction. Uh, it, it's blown up. It's 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 completely uh, just escalated in terms of pricing. And value, and it's exciting. It's exciting to know that these one-of-a-kind pieces of art are are yielding this kind of value in the marketplace, and and it's really picked up steam in the last, I'd say, six years. The heritage auctions have been around for a while. 
Uh, you know, in my mind, I remember them really coming onto the scene in the last 15 years in terms of original comic book art. But some of these prices, you can go back and 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 the stuff that you thought was escalating in terms of value and prices and bidding in, in 2011, 2012 has just blown up in, in 2019 and 2020 heading into 2021. And it's, it's, it's really funny, um, having been somebody who's, who's done thousands of pages of original art and, and watching my peer group, because now the nineties art has really taken hold and blown up and you can use it as comps against the silver age art and the bronze age art. So, so what are these different ages? I've covered this before in some of the podcasts, but the silver age art is the stuff from the sixties to the early seventies. It is the uh, the stuff where Marvel was 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 built on, and so much of the Silver Age art that is pursued during that time is Marvel Comics. It's your early Avengers, your early X-Men, your early Fantastic Four. So much of it is done by Jack Kirby because he was so prolific. He did so much of the art. He, he was drawing two to three pages a day, and we're going to cover how that pertains to all this uh, later on in the show, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. But the, the Bronze Age is from like 1972, uh, 1973, all the way to 1986. Generally, the Bronze Age is capped off by Dark Knight, which we've covered in depth, and Watchmen both in the same episode. Dark Knight and Watchmen kind of were the uh, rest in peace to the Bronze Age, a new, darker, uh, more more cynical uh, body of work, character, uh, interpretation of, of heroes and characters that you loved were, were coming out and, and you know, it, it, it blew up, it exploded, it changed the business, it changed the guys like myself who were about to break into the business or who were breaking into the business at the time, like a Todd McFarlane, who is generally more of what we call the modern age. I know the modern age stretches a long, long time if somebody wants to correct me and tell me what age I fit into because, uh, again, now you're talking like 1985 to what, 19, I mean, 2020? I mean, is, is it that long? But but the modern artists, especially the 90s stuff, has just escalated. And so much of today's episode uh, was, was put into motion by uh, reading uh, some, some exchanges on an original art group that I'm a part of on social media. It's, it's got over uh, 8,000 uh, group members. And so you get a lot of opinions. You get a lot of shares. You get a lot of guys um, sharing art. And it's fun to see them interact. And of course, there's comic art fans, which I'm not a member of, but I've been aware of for well over 20 years. And uh, and comic art fans is where people build their specific galleries and show all the amazing killer pages that they have. And I have all sorts of friends who, like myself, have really great collections of original art. I have been a fan myself um, since I was a kid. And I first encountered because I've seen it. I've seen it in other people's faces when you first encounter that page of original art, that 11 by 17 or bigger uh, page of two-ply Bristol board that uh, has finished art that they shot the comic from. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's always done generally two up. And uh, it's magnificent. Any, any original page of art is, is a real treat to, to, to you know grab a hold of. And when you go to the big uh, conventions like a San Diego, like a New York Comic Con, a WonderCon, many of the dealers make sure that they're there because those are the biggest uh, attended shows with the widest audience exposure. And some of these guys put up the most amazing uh, displays of art and, and they are uh, showing them so that you can interface with them. Many times, you know, on the back wall is the big, uh, the big uh, heavy, heavy gold chip, uh, blue chip pieces. 
that, that, that they don't want you to touch unless you're a serious buyer. So much of the other stuff is available through portfolios and they're vigilant in how they watch that stuff because you don't want that stuff stolen. Having had pages of my own art stolen off my table about 20 years ago, um, my peer group, Eric Larson, an entire, I think, a cover and several pages at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago of the Savage Dragon, I believe, were were heisted. Um, you know, theft, theft is prevalent, so, so they take as good care as possible trying to get you to interface with these very expensive pieces. And like I said, through the auction houses alone, and look, private sales are huge as well. And, and I've been a part of, of all of them, private sales, auctions, uh, buying at conventions, because that is my that is what I collect. I don't collect cars. I don't collect coins. I don't collect stamps. I don't really even collect comics. I consume comics. I have so many comics. I have an entire storage unit of probably 200 plus boxes, more than that, uh, of, of long boxes of comic books. But the thing is, what I collect, what I curate is original art. And the art of comic books is so much fun to collect, especially given that it is booming right now. And, and on this Facebook group, on social media and, and through comic book art fans, you get a lot of the guys now interfacing, being very honest with their assessment of different art. And one uh, particular page uh, came to light last week, or a, a, a week ago from this podcast. One of Todd McFarlane's amazing Spider-Man covers was going up for auction. It was the original art to Amazing Spider-Man uh, 299. And it uh, jumped out to a quarter of a million dollars bid. Okay. So you got, you got, you know, $250,000 is, is, um, put up for bid on this brilliant, beautiful piece of art that depicts Spider-Man battling with a character named Chance and they're battling a bunch of soldiers. Really dynamic shot of Spider-Man in the black costume. Todd drew Spider-Man in the black costume three times on Amazing Spider-Man and a couple more times on the adjectiveless Spider-Man, which just called Spider-Man that he relaunched when he launched that in 1991. But, um, so, so Todd's Spider-Man in the black costume is really hard to come by. It's, uh, very rare, but Todd's Spider-Man art has been established as being very popular and very, um, expensive and quite the hot potato when it comes to the auction houses. As, as a fact, as a matter of fact, Todd has, um, come out as the reigning champ of my generation in regards to original art. And, uh, you know, his recent, um, some, some of his most recent, uh, uh, covers have closed for, are you, are you ready for this? $657,250. Okay. That is 2012. And it was the cover to amazing Spider-Man 328. Spider-Man is punching up, knocking the Hulk into the logo, shattering the logo. It's a great cover. Is it his best cover? I don't think so, but it's a good cover. It's a really good cover. I mean, um, some some of Todd's covers are amazing. Spider-Man was such a natural extension of what he did well. It played to all of his strengths, 100% all of his strengths. And the actual, the cover to number one, the cover to Spider-Man number one, the objective list went for in the 300 thousand range or maybe it was four it's it's somewhere the the the, the amazing spider-man that i just showed you that is the that is the tippy top uh of the iceberg that is the biggest um most uh most expensive piece of art that has been sold that todd mcfarland did that book came out in 1990 okay and it sold for a closing price of six hundred and fifty-seven thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. yes we are kissing three hundred thousand plus dollars under a million dollars for that cover that is 
the insane pricing that is going on with this art that is that is 30 years old, okay? And uh, and it's because uh, in the same auction is the other cover that sold between 350 400,000. So there was literally over a million dollars dropped on two Todd McFarlane covers in 2012 in this auction. So this other cover came up last week on one of the auction houses because there's several of them now. There's not just Heritage. There's Comics Link. There's there's others. And uh, in 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 this thread, people started weighing in by um, you know immediately weighing in on the merits of the art. So when I said we're doing a podcast on the art of comics, I mean I meant we are doing a podcast on the art of comic books today, and it is absolutely insane. Um, because truthfully, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, okay? What you think is special may be different than what I think is special. And we may assign different emotions and importance and values to how we see those things. And in this case, obviously someone cared enough because there is like 45, 60 bids to get to that uh, 250,000. I mean, it went up fast. It shot up very quickly. And, um, you know, a quarter of a million dollars for a cover. And, and so now he's got, you know, several covers now, which are over a quarter of a million dollars. And that's why I'm telling you, far and away, he is leading the crop of my generation. Um, I wish I could share with you that one of my covers had sold for this extravagant amount. The fact is, um, I'm still waiting for somebody in the last, you know, 10 years to put one of my covers up or in the last six, seven years since this blew up, um, None of my New Mutants or X-Force covers have come up for auction in, in the, the, this last recent window because I would love to track them. But uh, a, a Jim Lee cover, kind of the Jim Lee cover, uh, the one that kind of is, is everybody's unanimous favorite uh, piece of art that Jim did on the X-Men. It's Captain America, Black Widow. It's Wolverine. I don't have, is it 268? It's not in front of me right now. I can't quote it, but everybody knows what that cover is. It's a very important cover of the X-Men. Went for $300,000 two, two weeks ago. So, you know, um, the reason I'm telling you this is in this thread, a guy goes, well, I, I don't want this to out. I, it would be a shame if a Todd McFarlane piece outsold a Jim Lee cover. And then of course, uh, the statistics are shared by um, many members of this 8,000, you know, uh, member group of you're too late. Todd has already way outsold this, this value of an X-Men cover. Todd's, Todd's Spider-Man covers have sold over 300 and, and 600 and $75,000. I mean, they're, they're insane. So this other cover that sold at 250 gives Todd like these averages that are, that are just, you know, amazing. Um, the, the two interior pages, to New Mutants 98. They're, they're pretty good pages. They're not the best pages in 98, but two uh, have sold for uh, $50,000, uh, 50 and 45, 50, 50 plus, and then 45 plus in, in the last, I think two years ago, those sold. So those are, those are interior pages. And what it gives you is a range in terms of the 90s. Again, I would love for any of my covers to come up for auction, but I'm going to tell you, they're sequestered away in somebody's collection and they're not coming to light. I know that the guy who has the cover to New Mutants 98 has uh, told people he's turned down half a million dollars. That's the first appearance of Deadpool Domino. And of course, we can't leave out Gideon, but it's it's um, it's um a big cover. And I'm going to tell you something. So so this, this segues into when people talk about, well, uh, you know, why'd you guys sell these covers? People have asked me, why'd you guys sell your original art? So 
So the art of comic books for years and still to today, I mean, most artists have reps. They all have different reps. You'll have to hunt them down who reps your favorite artists. And, uh, and, and each of those reps uh, is immediately turning around whatever comes out. What's become very popular in the, in the marketplace is to do an entire issue of like an issue of Thor. And then the day that comes out, put that issue up for sale. I did the same thing with my snake eyes. Number one, the day it came out, we put all the original art up and it all sold. The fever is the hottest, the day of release. That's the, that's the, that's what I have heard all these, um, art reps, agents, art managers say. So that's what kind of what they, what they do with the current stuff is you want to get it out. Um, the day of release, get it on the market when the fever's high and people gobble these pages up and then they announce the entire issue sold out. <clears throat> Again, I, I know that I've been there, done that. It's very exciting. Um, but back in the, so, so, so today, as we speak, people are still selling their art. One of the reasons I'm, for, for instance, for me, Snake Eyes, why I am not going to sit on that art the way I sit on other art is because I don't own, or didn't, I don't create, I didn't create Snake Eyes. I'm just literally drawing one of my favorite characters and I'm drawing this adventure. So long-term value is different than me, like sitting on, uh, 40 covers of Cable and Deadpool. Okay. That's different because that's, to me, accruing value that I can pass on to my family. Um, and I learned that from a guy named Walt Simonson, who his, the majority of his Thor run, which he penciled and inked, he has never parted with. He has not sold. And when you think that he did, you know, between 25, 30 issues of Thor and, and those, that art is in his possession. Okay. And we're going to cover some of this with other guys. Cause, 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 uh, he's not alone. He's not alone in not releasing this art. So in his case, uh, he chose to sit on this art and, and let it accrue value. And, you know, now I think it, it, it's, it's definitely on its way to being at the most valuable it's ever been. It has to, right? I mean, you don't see Thor Walt Simonson art on the market. I haven't seen it in 30 years. If, if, if it's out there, it's because he had a guest anchor and the breakdown, if there was a 22 page story, this is how it was when I was breaking into the business. And I believe this is how it was for the longest time. I think now comic stories sometimes are only 20 pages. Um, but when it was 22 pages, uh, it was two thirds, a third, that was a split. Your anchor got a third, you got two thirds. It generally, you know, worked out that your anchor got seven pages. Okay. And you got the, the, the 14 or the, the 15, um, or you got 14, he got eight, you know, it, it was always along that lines. And if your anchor was inking your covers, you gave every third cover to your anchor. If you inked it yourself, obviously you kept all of it. If you inked every page, if you inked yourself in your interiors, like Todd, you kept all the the pages. So people in this thread are like, why would Todd McFarlane have ever sold his art? And that page, uh, that, 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 that X-Men cover with Captain America, Black Widow and Wolverine that sold for $300,000. Um, and you guys, this is really fun talking about this. This isn't, this is just fun that this is happening in the business because, uh, of course it just gives a higher profile to art. And, and as I've said, there are no comic books without art. We have prose, we have novels and we don't make novels and we don't make prose. We make comic books with, with spectacular visuals that, that started with the Jack Kirby's and the John Buscema that titillated us, double page spread, splash pages, incredible sequences that we just remember that is burned into our brains. And uh, those of us in the business, those of us in uh, comic books, we talk about this stuff all the time. We talk about this stuff all the time. My buddy, Jeff Loeb, uh, he of many Marvel TV shows and a million great comic books, 
Batman Hush, Batman, you know, The Long Halloween, Batman Dark Victory, Red Hulk. Jeff is a titan in the comics industry. He, uh, we have a San Diego dinner uh, every year annually. Obviously, not when there's not a San Diego like last year, although we did entertain getting together, but we decided we'll just, if there's no show, there's no dinner. So, but we have this dinner and there's about eight of us that meet every year for the last 11, 12 years. And Jeff walked up a couple years ago and opened up with, how much do you think that last page with Wolverine coming out of the sewers in, I don't know, maybe it's X-Men 133, 130, it's, it's in the Hellfire Club. He's thrown his, the, the bad guy uh, in the Hellfire Club, I think his name's Sebastian, makes him weigh a ton and he falls through all the floors and crashes into the sewers. But the last page is a page that lives in infamy in every single X-Men fan's memory of Wolverine's hand jutting through the water of the sewer and pulling himself up with the grime. And he's like, I'm going to get even. It's the la it's a three-quarter page splash. And, and, it, and, and it is one of my, it is the best shot in the history of the run, in my opinion, and in many others' opinion. So much so that Jeff Loeb and I have really never discussed it, but he opens up dinner with, so what do you think that's worth? You know, how much do you think that would go for? What, what, what's that? What's that? 500, 600,000? And again, that, that, that kicked off dinner the values of some of our favorite stuff because everybody sees that all this stuff is blowing up. And in the case of John Byrne, when we get down to the John Byrne of it all, um, his values are the highest across the board of anybody of the last decade in terms of a comic book artist, not a painter like a Frank Frazetta because now you're in a completely different world. Um, Frank Frazetta paintings are, are of a different value and that pulls in a fantasy market, a book market that goes beyond comic books because guys who love comic books want comic book artwork. And so when, when, when somebody like a John Byrne, his averages at auction are $30,000 for an interior page, 27, 32, 28, 35. It averages around 30,000. There is a page of his art that was in my buddy's portfolio, a dealer that, that I, I do a lot of business with. And there's a page from, I think it's X-Men 137 or uh, 136. It's, it's, it's one of the Dark Phoenix pages, except there's no X-Men on it. There's barely a side profile shot of Professor X head. There's the Phoenix eyes. There's calamity, people running from stuff exploding and all sorts of chaos. And there's an energy bolt. But there is no single X-Men on it except for, again, a profile, a very tiny, maybe the size of a dime, Professor Xavier. And Misty Knight, who is part of the Daughters of the Dragon. I remember she's on the page too. But like big shot of the phoenix force, kind of the face of the of the flying bird. And I said, what's this? And he goes, Rob, you know, I, I, I got to go $22,000 on this page. <laughs> and I was like, I know. Because any page from the X-Men. Yes, I said $22,000 for a page that had no X-Men on it. And uh, look, that stuff, pages that I bought for $15,000 five years ago are now going for $25,000. There's been this marked increase in John Byrne X-Men. And, uh, and John Byrne will tell you that he sold some of these pages for $35 a page, okay? And this is on top of him getting $45 a page to draw it because that's what was the going rate in 1979, 1980. And, and, and this gets back to why do you sell these pages? The cover that I was telling you, the, the, the X-Men cover, the, the, the Captain America Wolverine Black Widow, that cover in the thread, Scott Williams who inked it, <clears throat> who inked that cover over Jim Lee, said in this Facebook group, I sold it for $600. He also said on publicly on Twitter. So I'm just, this is stuff that he has stated publicly in forums that pu the public can see. 
that he sold it 30 years ago for $600. Now, here's the deal. That's what we were doing. That's what, when you could compare how much you could sell your artwork for, and you got to realize John Byrne is telling people those X-Men pages that he um, sold were selling for, for, for $35, $40 a page. And, and he, was, he was thrilled because here's the deal. We weren't being paid a lot to make comics. Opening rate, opening page rate when I got in, I think was 90 bucks. I think I was making 90 bucks a page and that was huge. I read an interview with Michael Golden, one of the most celebrated artists, a huge influence on my entire group, mainly Art Adams, then Todd McFarlane. All of us though have been influenced hugely by Michael Golden. He did a 12-issue run on the Micronauts, which is beloved to all of us. The It would be more well-known if it could be reprinted, but there's rights issues between the toy company um, and, and Marvel as to what they can do because Marvel created a bunch of characters for the comic book that was based on the toy, so the toy doesn't own those characters and Marvel doesn't own the toys. So that's why you haven't gotten a terrific hardcover trade paperback of this Micronauts book that can only really be consumed properly with the original issues. And I highly recommend, again, you you, you get those. In, in an interview that Michael Golden gave about why he went to do Micronauts is because the editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter, wanted to work with him so badly and needed an artist for Micronauts. And 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 I, I first encountered Michael Golden's work on a book called Batman Family. He was doing Man Bat and The Demon, and he was doing different different backups or short stories in Batman Family as well as he was doing Mr. Miracle, one of the um, Jack Kirby Fourth World comics. So he was, he says in the interview that Jim Shooter agreed to give him $10 over his DC Comics page rate if he would cross over to Marvel and work for Marvel and do the Micronauts. Right there, that tells you. He was getting $35 a page in 1978, okay, from DC Comics and, and, and to cross the street, he was going to get $45 a page. And this goes directly into the heart of why Jack Kirby was as prolific as he was. And when you get it from the mouth of the king himself, it resonates with you heavy. When we were uh, at Jack's, the first time I visited Jack Kirby at his home in, uh, in, 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 uh, in the valley, uh, there's, his, there's his table. He had his table that he always drew out. You've seen it in pictures. And he was positioned in front of the fireplace adjacent to the sliding door that would go out to the pool. Um, sometimes he drew with his shirt off. You've seen those pictures. I mean, what a badass. Jack Kirby, just amazing. Fantastic. Jack Kirby routinely would do three books a month, okay? Uh, when he went back to Marvel, he would rotate Eternals, Captain America, Black Panther, then Machine Man, Devil Dinosaur. Uh, he was so prolific in in putting out, at that time, 17-page comic books. So so the guy is doing, you know, in, in almost 60 pages a month if you count covers, and, and, and Marvel was putting him to use doing covers for all sorts of books that he wasn't doing the interiors for. Avengers, Defenders, Fantastic Four, Hulk. So many books. Jack, Jack even did Ghostwriter covers when he came back to Marvel in the 70s, okay? Guy was prolific. Then I said, Jack, you know, how was it that you were so prolific? And he said, I, I, had, to, I had to pay the bills. I had to put money on the table. You know, three pages a day? Is, is the wages that I needed to make. And so you figure back then, maybe, maybe, so so let's say in 1977, Jack is getting, you know, $45 a page. So, you know, Jack is making, what is that, $140 a day, okay? Plus maybe a cover now and then, which is double rate, maybe almost 100. So I had to put food on the table, Rob. And you just sat there and you go, 
There's the key. That's a guy who is motivated. He is highly motivated to provide to to to, to pay for his um you know his mortgage, the cars. You know, I always respect comfortable guys that are financing their entire families because you're doing it on the back of your imagination, your hand, your pencil. And Jack Kirby, there is no greater example of that. The guy who came closest to him was John Byrne, who at his peak would regularly do two two issues a month. Um, especially there was about a three-year period. He did Fantastic Four and Alpha Flight. Boom. Like 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 clockwork. Uh, two 22-page comics a month plus cover. Okay. But Jack Kirby, got to put money on the table. Had to make a hundred and some dollars a day. And uh, and that's how he did it, by doing three pages a day. Now, maybe, maybe Jack got $60 a page, you know, in 1977, 1978. So, so great. Now, you know, now you're looking at $180 a day that he could generate. And, and then every day, maybe six days a week. And uh, I mean, the guy was a machine for a reason. It, that was his way of making a living. And that's why he was so prolific. And so then in selling his artwork as well, then you're doubling that income. And that's what a guy like a John Byrne, if he's getting $45 a page and getting, getting, you know, then getting $45 for the page again, you're getting twice the income for your comic. So Scott Williams said he sold that cover for $600. Let me tell you, in 1990, that's a great deal. $600 for a cover was a big deal. We would sit next to each other at shows, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, myself, Eric Larson, and we'd compare, hey, what'd you sell that for? Oh, I got, I got $450. I got $500. Oh, man. You know, to break the thousand barrier for a page was a big, big deal. And Todd, uh, there are people in that thread that I told you about. Um, I'm going to go back into that thread about this Todd McFarlane, uh, piece of artwork. Cause <clears throat> a guy, you know, again, uh, people came through and said, Hey buddy, looking, this is a guy responding to a guy who's like, I just can't believe this would outsell a Jim Lee cover guy goes, Todd Spider-Man's have been higher on average across the board than Jim. Um, and then this guy makes, he says, it makes me wonder what Todd McFarlane would, would fetch for commissions. Nowadays, uh, another guy goes, Oh, you know, again, you get these negative people at social media. They can't resist. Oh boy. Five years from now, huge buyer's remorse for that guy, whoever is, is buying it. Cause at the time it was at like 240 K when this thread started. And, uh, and then a guy tried to tell me that Todd is, uh, is, is, is only that, that he's just a trend and it's LA gear and it's like sneakers that go, go out of, of style. And I said, no, 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 that's not, that's not at all. He's Air Jordans. His his artwork has been popular for thirty years, not just right now. That's that the trending is does not that does not fit at all. Another guy, um, uh, literally weighs in because he wants to you know rain on the parade and says, uh, "I'll never understand the appeal of Todd's artwork. Everybody looks grubby, huh?" For a minute there, I'm like, "What am I reading? Am I reading a, a, a Rob Liefeld hater thread or a Todd McFarlane you know appreciation of this amazing piece of art thread?" But I'll never understand the appeal of Todd's artwork. Everyone looks grubby, grubby, huh? I'd never heard that about his art. And uh, then a guy goes, ah, this isn't about the art. It's about the nostalgia. I'm telling you right now, it's about the art and the memory that that art invokes in the person who wants to buy that. So it's a combination. It's the art and it's the feeling. So you're getting some nostalgia, but it's not all nostalgia. Um, this is, again, Todd only did X amount of Spider-Man artwork, okay? So... These pieces now that they're going for a quarter million dollars, six hundred and seventy-five thousand um, uh, dollars, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know that there is clearly a fan base for this and a buyer base for this, and so more and more of them are coming out. An interior page of Todd Spider-Man, a really good juicy three-quarter page shot of Spider-Man was on it, sold for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars two weeks ago. So the interior prices are going crazy as well. He is, like I said, he is far and away. 
um, the, 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 the benchmark of the original art market as we speak right now. Um, another guy goes, uh, you know, a 14 year old me disagrees strongly that Marv, that, that Todd McFarlane drew ugly. Uh, but besides that, I think his work was compelling and breathed new life. And this is probably why people are excited about the work. Okay. Then another guy, we'll call him Joe wants to tell everybody, uh, I just want to encourage y'all to invest in substandard art like this. It diverts money away from all the great stuff that, that I'm chasing. Okay. Really nice. Um, I'm going to tell you obviously why I'm, uh, showing this to you guys. A, a, A guy here says, I remember this cover was on the wall at Wonderworld Comics in Washington in 1990. The owner had it for $1,000. It was for sale for $1,000. So again, uh, the three the $300,000 page uh, that was sold, uh, of uh, that, that, that Jim Lee's cover, which sold for $300,000, uh, that was sold originally by Scott Williams for $600. I mean, here's the deal. There's there's a great success story there. And you know, if you imagine, if you, you, you managed to hang on to some of your art, terrific. We all did. I know like the original five covers of X-Men number one, Jim Lee still has that. He has all those. He put the cover to X-Men number one in an auction at the same time that I put X-Force number one in an auction. And turns out the same buyer bought X-Men number one for 50,000 and X-Force number one for 50,000. Mine included the cover. Um, and uh, both double-sized issues too. So this guy walked away with almost a hundred pages of art for a hundred thousand dollars. And I couldn't hang around for the convention. I was in New York, this is when we are um, leaving Marvel Comics. This is the weekend that we go in and we see uh, uh, the, 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 the head of Marvel and tell him that we're starting Image Comics. Todd wanted to have that meeting. I've talked about it. Tom DeFalco comes in through the door, joins the meeting. Todd's like, you know, we're leaving. They offer us Epic Comics. Um, Terry Stewart was the, the publisher at the time. He's who we met with. Well, the next day or two days after that was the auction, but I had booked a flight home at like five o'clock. I couldn't, you know, I had to get out of the city like two 30 in the afternoon. And Todd said, I'll call you and tell you what you're, you know, when you get home on your answering machine, I'll tell you what, what the art sold for. And sure enough, man, I got in, I get in, I got in at like 10 30 that night. There's the red, you know, message light blinking. I, I hit, I hit uh, play and sure enough, there's Todd. And he says, uh, he says, Robbie, your art sold to the same guy that bought Jimmy's 50k a pop 50k X-Force 50k X-Men you got 50k coming your way and I (laughs) you got 50k coming your way all right take care Todd and uh very cool very cool to hear that um a buddy of mine had said you should get it into this uh this auction house and uh it was Sotheby's um, and, and so Jim and I both submitted our art and they both sold for 50 K same guy. Now over time, the guy has sold interiors and moved those pieces around. And now those interiors are going for way, way, the entirety of X-Force would, would probably bring, I mean, again, a new mutants 98 interior page sold for 52,000, 55,000 copies. I mean, $55,000. There's a lot of Deadpool cable in there. There's, there's a stretch of Deadpool cable, the big three quarter page shot. I got to believe that's a. That's, that's, that's a really expensive page. I'm not, I'm not going to predict prices, but I don't, I, I mean, New Mutants 98, I mean, we've already established one page went for more than the entirety of X-Force number one. One page in New Mutants 98 um, went for 55. Another went for 45. Those are the two that I've seen on auction in the last couple of years. And the entirety of X-Force number one in 1990 
91 sold for 50K at auction at Sotheby's. So, you know, Jim's got those covers. And you got to believe, five covers, what's that? Is that, I mean, you know, I've got to believe those five covers are the, because it's five covers. I don't think, I don't know if they get separated. They'd have to be collected in one to, to get the maximum. So I've got to believe he'll keep those, you know, together from that, that. That's again, what I know, but you know, again, whether it's Sean Byrne or Jack Kirby or Jim Lee or Rob Liefeld or Todd McFarlane, we were selling our art. It was an extra way to make a living. And it was part of the Derby. I've told you before about commissions. What's he getting? Well, I'm going to get this. Well, I'm going to ask for 500. Is that guy getting 600? Well, I'm asking 650. It's the competitiveness. It's the, you've seen some of these guys, some of these guys like an Adam Hughes, who does maybe five covers a year now. And maybe he does five commissions a year. He wants to get the most out of every job that he does. So he jacks up those prices and makes them very limited in quantity so that you know that if you got one, you're special. And so you paid, uh, you know, a, a premium for something that is, that is rare. And every single one of these pages is a one of a kind. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I wasn't done with that thread yet because this entertains me to no end. Um, I always love when, again, people people come in and just and just crab on something that's cool. This amazing Spider-Man cover going for a quarter of a million dollars is amazing. It's awesome. Another guy goes, you know what? I just don't see this as as, as high comic book art, question mark. Then a guy named, uh, we won't say his name. He says, there's no accounting for taste. Jesus, ugh. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, you know, another guy goes, I got to confess, I'm not a fan of his work or this cover at all. Well, thanks. Thanks for all that negative, uh, ne negative share in the group. You know, how fun is that? Um, come on, man. This is a big deal. Pieces of comic book art are, are going for tremendous values. Uh, uh, Barry Windsor Smith drew uh, this celebrated story that detailed Wolverine's origin, how he got the adamantium. It was called Weapon X. It ran serialized in Marvel Comics Presents in 1990. It was celebrated. It was imitated. It was... Uh, a seminal piece of work. It was adapted somewhat for five minutes in Wolverine Origins. They took a little uh, snippet of it and, and 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 put it to live action. But uh, that there's a splash page. It's the key page in the whole book. It's it's Wolverine just taking on what looks like to be like thirty soldiers in the compound, and it is magnificent. The compo the composition, the rendering, the figure work, the detail, and it went up. And it sold for a hundred and I think seventy thousand dollars last week. And normally the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X pages are have been selling in the five to eight range, but this is the showstopper. They even made this the cover to the hardcover uh, when they reprinted it, the, the special edition. So you're getting a splash page that was intended as an interior that Marvel then put as a cover. So you're 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 double ending this. But you know what? It's 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 to me one of the most signature Wolverine shots of all time. And and I gotta be honest, Wolverine's never not gonna be a super big popular character. And that's what I was saying. I actually weighed in on this thread when everyone was going negative and said, You guys, Spider-Man is Marvel's flagship characters. He's on the checks. He was on the checks for 30 years. He's the character they that that they um have traditionally um you know been their signature, just like Mickey Mouse is for Disney Disney. Um now I gotta tell you, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Spider-Man continues to be a huge priority for them even if venom outsells him even if there's more merchandise for deadpool spider-man is the history of the company and and again i think it is the pride and the joy of marvel publishing he's super recognizable and uh and when we get to the making of deadpool a uh, five-part series that i'm going to embark on on here in just like about two weeks which is going to kick off 2021 i'm going to finally go deep into all aspects of Deadpool over 30 years as we celebrate his 30th anniversary, you're going to see how influential Spider-Man is on the visual component. 
and how there really isn't a Deadpool without a Spider-Man. Um, so he is super important in the flagship character. So he's always going to carry, you know, more weight. But in this group of art dealers, art collectors, in the art collector world, there's four heavy-duty collectors. You'll know who they are. They have the big booths at San Diego. Those big booths are expensive, but they're going to make way more than the cost of that big booth because they're bringing out all the big stuff, all the big stuff that you didn't even believe you'd be able to touch and 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 hold and look through a you know plastic sheet in the portfolio. The thing I love about original art is looking at the quality of the inks, the the marks from the crow quill. Uh, the crow quill is what you would see as a, a fountain pen and the yield that it gives, the flexibility, the scrape of the, of the crow quill. And uh, guys like Terry Austin, guys like Joseph Rubenstein, um, Bob McLeod, uh, Tom Palmer with his brushwork. I love seeing the textures and and you can see, uh, again, if you've used the tools and if you're a comic book artist, you've used the tools to see how other guys have used the tools and gotten the marks that they got, what whiteout did they use, what special effects did they conjure up with cutting the page with a razor blade, all sorts of great stuff. Original art is so fun, especially if your head is so into it as, as I'm, as, as guys like myself or a Jeff Loeb who opens up a dinner going, how much is that killer page that we all love? And uh, these guys in the bar, in the business, in the art business, there's four heavyweights and they have the majority of, of the stuff that you see that's for sale and, and they have websites and you can interact with them and chase this stuff down. And, and lately, you know, everybody's kicking a few at a time into the auction houses and those are good because they'll set prices. The John Byrne phenomenon, this average of 30,000 for interior pages, which is on par. If Todd, a bunch of Todd interior pages were, were to happen, Maybe that overtakes it, but but Todd stuff is wildly inconsistent. A guy who I know who loves Todd McFarlane, there was a cover because he did a bunch of Marvel Tales covers. They were reprinting Spider-Man stories. Marvel Tales always existed to reprint Spider-Man stories. Well, for about a year, Todd did all the covers. Well, there was one, my buddy had it, and I said, oh, I think I have a buyer for you, and I clicked it. I sent it. It was a very reasonable price. My buddy goes, I'm, I'm not buying that. That's, that is a reasonable price, but I don't, I'm not interested in having that. And again, it comes down to discernment. And what do you want? I have about uh, 20 John Byrne interior pages of his Marvel work between X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Avengers. And they're all expensive. That that 70, 1975 to 1980 for John Byrne is extremely expensive in terms of what you're going to buy if you want a page of art from any of those books. He His, his appreciation across the board is insane. And... Uh, I generally, with the X-Men, want a shot of Wolverine on the page if I'm going to go all in for a big yield. And uh, and so that's my criteria. When it comes down to discernment and criteria, he's my favorite X-Men character. John Byrne drew my favorite X-Men. He taught us all how to, I mean, my favorite Wolverine. He taught us all how to draw Wolverine. So in, in regards to that, uh, that's what I value. I want a great Wolverine page. So uh, so 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 generally, if, for me to go deep into a page... I need to have a killer Wolverine shot or at least some Wolverine, you know, represented on the page. So that, that's how I break things down. And, uh, and so, um, you know, w when I, when I see a Wolverine page, I have to immediately, um, you know, uh, evaluate, oh boy, is this, is, is this worth, you know, cause it's going to be buying a car. It's going to be like buying a nice car. That's what these pages are going to cost you. Okay. So you've got to, you know, really decide, am I going all in on this? And, and for the Spider-Man set, for years, John Romita Sr., he came in after Ditko. The Ditko pages are hard to come by. A Ditko page, you're going to pay a, a, a giant sum of money. That's Silver Age. 
those first 25, 30 issues that Ditko did are hard to come by. And when you see those pages, they're very impressive. Now, the thing with Jack Kirby um, being as prolific as he is, there's a lot of Jack Kirby out there, right? Now, John Romita Sr., so I mean, you've got, you've got a good choice of Jack Kirby and you've got a great price range because there's thousands of his pages, okay? A guy like me who's going to come up on 4,000 pages here soon in a 30-year career is dwarfed by the tens of thousands of pages by somebody like a, a Jack Kirby. Um, in my peer group, the guy who's been most prolific is Eric Larson. He has done easily in the 7,500, almost 8,000 page interior pages because you got a guy like Jim Lee and a guy like Todd McFarlane who haven't done interiors. Jim in five years, Todd in 20. Um, Todd will do an occasional cover now and then, but they have stopped drawing interiors for, and, and Mark Silvestri hasn't drawn interiors that, that have seen print in eight years. Myself and Eric Larson are the guys kind of keeping the interior um, desire going. We love doing it. We love, you know, drawing interiors. I love storytelling even more than drawing covers, and I love drawing covers, but I love getting a page to work together. That is my favorite thing to do. But when you get somebody like a Jack Kirby, I mean, there's so much that you can choose from. Eternals, Captain America, Avengers, Fantastic Four, Machine Man, Devil Dinosaur, uh, Mr. Miracle, New Gods, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Demon, Commandy, uh, X-Men. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's an infinite amount that you can, you can swim in that ocean. You can swim deep and long and wide because there's so much of it. But again, when a guy like Todd has stopped doing interiors, so there's a very limited amount of product that he has that's available. And and so you're going to see those prices continue to climb. Whereas for the Spider-Man set, Ramita Sr., who followed Steve Ditko on a long, lengthy, multi-year run on Spider-Man and, and again became the house style for Spider-Man on the, on the merchandise, on the checks, on everything. That guy uh, is just, uh, he was heralded as the premier Spider-Man artist. And people would be so proud to buy those covers and to buy those interiors and those splash pages. And believe me, beautiful art. It's beautiful art. I've never been a big John Romita guy. It's so soft and pretty. I like harder edge stuff. It, there, you can't say a negative thing about Romita Sr.'s art. It, it's beautiful. But there's a guy, one of the heavy hitters. I mean, his name Romita Man. His, his site is Romita Man. He has the largest uh, on record yield of Romita pages. Well, Guys in that, not him himself, but guys I've seen them, I've heard them in that set are like, oh man, I, they're the guys who can't believe the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man, which is weirder and creepier and edgier and harder lined and sharper, that his stuff is blowing up. And now he's becoming, Todd is literally becoming the premier Spider-Man artist, outclassing Ramita Sr. as well as Steve Ditko. And I don't, I don't see it, I don't see it turning around. I see the needle continuing to climb because again there's only so much inventory and that's the one it's so funny when these art guys are like oh my inventory is low my inventory is but I mean that's what it is there's an inventory of art whether it's paintings in a museum or pages from a comic book but uh a guy like John Byrne you're gonna pay I mean a good Avengers page you're looking at six six thousand seven thousand nine thousand Fantastic Four you, you can look up online on a website right now and for a decent page you're going in 16 20 grand uh John Byrne medium pages. Uh, two, two recent pages in Heritage Auctions. They weren't stuff that I wanted to bid on, but they both went for close to 30 grand. A lot of medium shots, no close-ups. The camera was far away, but still somebody paid 30 grand each for, uh, for, for those pages. And, uh, it's, it's just the, the, the excitement in the, in the original art world, it, it's blown up. 
And, and again, guys like myself and Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee are watching our art now make its way out into the auctions and into the collections. I would love to see one of my covers. Again, like I said, I haven't seen any of my covers out there um, I, I, in the, at least the last five years. I haven't seen any. I'm telling you, the growth is in the last six six to five years. It's crazy. Um, and, and, and so, you know, um, the, it's getting to the point where I think Jim drew as many Batman comics as he's drawn X-Men comics. Okay. So, so again, the inventory on those characters is, is not great. It's not minimal, but it's not like, you know, again, he didn't do, you know, 40 issues or, or like, you know, Eric Larson, 250 straight issues. I mean, that's, that's insane. I mean, Jack Kirby did 101 issues of Fantastic Four, and for so long that was the barometer. Okay, and Eric Larson is 149. Well, now he's he's way beyond that because he's past 250. But um, Eric, like myself, held on to so much of his Savage Dragon artwork. I still have complete issues of Youngblood that I have in envelopes that I have not decided to part with. Um, there are certain profit um uh, pieces of art, covers, interiors that I am holding on to brigade blood strike from my catalog, because again, I, I own them and, and, and I created them. And like with a Deadpool or a cable page, um, I get to be the Steve Ditko in that scenario. Okay. Uh, Jim Lee gets to be that guy with gambit. Um, Todd gets to be that guy with venom. When you're buying that page, you're not only getting a page of art, you're getting a page from the creator of that specific character, which in the world of collecting just carries more weight. So it's a very exciting time. And we used to sell our, our pages to double our income because before the age of the killer royalties, again, the only book paying out the giant yield was X-Men. And I've covered it in previous podcasts, how Mark Silvestri, when his three years on X-Men, those royalties were at an all-time high. And Todd McFarlane would be like, that's the guy to beat those royalties. I mean, the, 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 the numbers and the royalties and the, and the profit sharing was stuff that I just wasn't aware of. And Todd made me keenly aware of it. He was a great coach, but even Todd can tell you, he sold all those amazing art, uh, Spider-Man interiors and covers because in 1989 and 1990 and 1991, that's what you did. You just, it was, you, you showed up at the Derby, you put your artwork out. You, it was a great badge of honor to say, Oh, I, I outsold you. I outsold you. My value got as much as this. My value got as much as this. And, and so now, seeing this stuff go for the high six figures, close to seven figures. I mean, again, so you got you got uh, Dark Knight, okay? Frank Miller's Dark Knight. We've talked about it. Let's look at some of those prices. Because in the last few years, that stuff has also sold. So you've got the cover to Dark Knight number two, okay? Sold for $478,000. $478,000. Still not outselling Todd McFarlane's 675000 cover of, of, of amazing Spider-Man. I mean, that's insane. An interior page, the page of Dark Knight, the single best, just like I said, that Jim Lee, uh, aside from the five covers, this Captain America, Black Widow, Wolverine, that's the signature X-Men cover. We all associate his best issue of X-Men. It's, it's the one that excited everyone the most. Cap, Wolverine, Black Widow, just the, the really literally the best art he ever did on the series is in those is in that issue and that cover is, 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 is just so identifiable, so iconic. And uh, there's an iconic shot in Dark Knight of Dark Knight and Robin flying through the city, city and it is the most memorable shot, uh, even more so than the covers. That splash page sold for $448,125. Crazy. Crazy, okay? This is just in the last several years, okay? And so Dark Knight, 
you know, those pages. Now, do I know the guy who has the cover of the Dark Knight one? I do. He lives in Orange County. He's got killer pages. I've been so fortunate. There's, there's huge, uh, I wouldn't call them investors, but some of your biggest filmmakers are buying this stuff. And I'm going to tell you, for years, I gave art for presents. There are so many double-page splashes from my Youngblood uh, runs that I gave as Christmas gifts to my attorney, to my agent. I gave them to people at Will Smith's company, people at Tom Cruise's company. I was just like, oh, I'll give you a nice gift. I'll give you a piece of art. Because it's fun. It's a piece of you. You're giving a piece of you to somebody. And I wouldn't take that back for anything. That it, it, It's my pleasure. But nowadays, people are trying to hunt down some of my old stuff and complete issues. And I tell them, well, I think this guy has this. And I think this guy has this. And uh, it's just a way to hunt down um, pieces and complete collections. And literally, once the fever bites you, again, my, my biggest thing that I buy is John Byrne Marvel art from 1975 to 1980. That is his prime stuff. Now, I'm going to close up here, going back to what I said with Walt Simonson. He has held on to his art. And I will tell you about an original art story that did not go exactly the best way it possibly could. But uh, I am a huge fan of Terry Austin. I believe he is the single best embellisher, inker, finisher that comic books has ever seen. He inked so precisely and inked in such a unique manner that it looked like it was from a future we still have yet to arrive at. In 1977, he's putting lines on the page that people in, the 20, in 2020 can't imitate. A sharpness, a crispness, a style, a method of, of putting lines together that I've never seen equaled. It's been attempted, but it, it cannot be equaled. He alone owns this brand. Um, he was, uh, the editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter, said that Terry Austin inks on a book would make a book on the cover go up 10,000 in circulation, 10,000 copies. He, I can tell you, having been a child of that age, um, having him ink your favorite penciler, John Bernard George Perez, or a Marshall Rogers, or an Art Adams, anybody, John Buscema on some Conan covers, you just always got excited. I'm, I'm going to buy that collaboration. If it says Austin on it, and it has his sheen, his shine, I'm on, I'm all in. I'm buying it. I'm, I'm taking it home with me. And uh, so Terry was the premier inker of his generation, maybe of all time. He he learned at the, at the feet of Dick Giordano, who is one of the all-time Mount Rushmore greats in inking. And Terry, you know, uh, is equal to, if not, in my estimation, greater than, than and, and that's saying something for a guy like Dick Giordano, okay? Well, Terry Austin got seven pages of every X-Men job and one of every third cover he inked, and he inked almost all the covers. Whether John Byrne did them or Dave Cockrum or George Perez, um, Terry was inking those covers. So he has the largest existing collection of X-Men art because he has not generally, aside from a few covers, he's allowed to be sold in the last 20 years. He has uh, the largest collection. It is well known. There are dealers that are aware. They've seen them. They are with him. So that's seven pages of roughly 30 X-Men comics. Um, that is a that is a lot of X-Men art, the most X-Men art that anyone has. Now, he has been, let it be known in recent years that he wants that stuff to go to a museum. So, fantastic. I can't wait to go see it at a museum. But the covers that are supposedly in his possession, one of which, The Days of Future Past, X-Men 141, if it is true if, that, that he indeed has this, that is a million-dollar cover. There are people on record, and this would be a drop in the bucket for them, who want that cover so bad that it is going to go into seven figures faster than you can say Days of Future Past. And all of those pages, you presume he has amazing splash pages, interior pages. So I bring this up in person with Terry Austin. Years ago, 
Uh, it was 2005, the Baltimore Comic Con. I had never done it before. I am landing in uh, Baltimore. I took the red eye to spend as much time with my family as possible. I'm going to do two days in Baltimore. So I got the red eye out of Los Angeles. I arrive. I get off the plane at 6, 6.30 a.m., uh, get a, get a cab over. My hotel room is not ready yet. Obviously I'm way too early in the morning. So I grab my bags and my, um, I head over to the convention center and I just wait outside in front of a bench, uh, until they're going to, you know, open up the facilities around eight, eight thirty for setup. And, uh, and I'll just go to my table. Then I'll meet the guys that, I'm, that are running my table. And then around noon, I'll go and throw my stuff in the hotel and then come back and finish the day. But as I am outside of the Baltimore, convention center. And so many of you guys have been there and have been to that great Baltimore show and who walks around the cover in his um, trench coat. It's kind of, kind of brisk. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a, uh, I think October and uh, it's Terry Austin. Terry is very distinct. He has a little tight uh, b- blonde curly hair kind of perm. And uh, again, he's, he's, he inked one of my covers once and, and I was really excited to collaborate with him that one time. Um, but he turns around and he's telling he gets kind of serious and tells me that guys from his generation, the Bronze Age, again, this is 2005, are having trouble getting work. And I sympathize with him. And I, I'm, I'm, that, that really touches me deep because I'm like, a guy like him should have his pick of whatever he's doing because he's still so good. And, and in 2005, he's still slinging that ink on par with nobody else. It's great, great looking stuff. That sheen still matters. And, and he's telling me how uh, one of the jobs that he was doing with Marshall Rogers, who was still alive at the time, a Batman uh, story they wanted to revisit from their acclaimed run prior to the X-Men. They did a run on Detective Comics with Batman, which is is beloved by fans my age. He wanted to do it, and he said they were having trouble, trouble with DC. And, you know, we're just talking artist to artist. Well, to lighten the mood, because um, I can't help at that time, given, you know, I'm also, you know, a guy who writes and draws comics. I don't own Marvel and DC and can't generate work for Terry if they're not giving it to him. I can maybe ask for him on my next job, which I, I certainly would would have considered. But I said to him, I said, well, Terry, come on, man. You're sitting on a, a treasure trove with all that X-Men art. I mean, all your art. You've never sold it. And uh, and he goes, well, yeah. And, and it got kind of serious. Like, he didn't want to go there. Very private. But I, I then lean in all the way to my joke. And it's true. I had joked with my friends. I said, yeah, me and my buddies have thought about doing like an Ocean's Eleven type heist on your on your house and, 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 uh, and, you know, get, getting all that X-Men art out from under you. And I kind of smiled and chuckled because it was clearly a joke. And, uh, I wouldn't joke about committing a crime, especially since I have no criminal record and I'm not, you know, uh, versed at all in, 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 in being the level of Ocean's Eleven, which I again cited probably a couple times in the case of trying to make my joke. And he got very terse and very, very serious and said, that's not funny. That's not funny at all. And I was like, Terry, I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm just joking. I mean, you're literally all that art. The value is amazing. I mean, I was just, you know, like he's got a giant nest egg, you know, people talk about their, you know, retirement. Terry has it. That X-Men art is so val. It literally has gone up in value while I'm doing this podcast. It went up in value. It just went up again and it's going to go up again in a few more seconds. Okay. But he was not amused. It was very serious. We parted ways. He was he he did not receive my joke, and I felt bad for making it. But still, the art world. I there are people who are obsessed with all that he has because of the values. But kudos to him for sitting on all of it. I mean, he doesn't have to be that guy that says I sold those pages for forty five dollars or sold it for six hundred dollars or myself. So in nineteen ninety nine, I really th- I think the comic book world is going 
to hell in a handbasket. I think the entire business, it's the most paranoid. It's the only time I really thought comics were done was between the summer of 1999 and, and 2000. And so I had a bunch of my art and I put the cover to New Mutants 87 up on eBay because that's before the auction houses. And I put it up. It's a first appearance of Cable. You know, iconic cover. It was iconic then. Um, it's become more iconic as the years go by, but it was always a fan favorite. That book turned everything around. That cover and that issue turned everything around for that series for me and put Cable on the map. It's inked by Todd McFarlane, so it's one of our few collaborations. And I had no more listed it. I had no more listed it, uh, you know, for maybe four or five minutes than I got a personal message from a guy who said, if you take this off right now, I mean, I literally had just put it, it was not up for auction on eBay for more than five minutes. If you uh, will pull this down right now, I'll buy it for $12,000. So, you know, again, in 1990, Scott is selling that cover for 600. I decided $12,000. Nobody's ever paid me $12,000 for a cover before. That's like, a, wow, a new high. And I was buying Dark Knight pages Frank Miller pages, I was buying for $4,000 a page. So I'm like, Dark Knight art that I own good stuff with Batman on it is, is $4,000. Somebody wants to buy this cover for $12,000. He says, I'll sell a, a, a cashier's check overnight. It did. I packed that art up. I sold it. We did the deal. A similar story happened with, this, with the cover to New Mutants 98. Both of them sold in the $12,000 range. Now, again, I've told you the guy who has 98, says he's had offers of half a million dollars. And I know for certain that that cover to New Mutants 87 would go for well over $300,000 if it was put up for sale. It's not just a piece of art. It's the first appearance of cable. So I am just like, in, in that instance, I'm no different than the guy who sold the page for $45, John Byrne. I have some of this John Byrne art on the back. It has his original pricing. It's in his handwriting, $45. So, you know, it's the same thing when you sell for 12 and it's going to sell for 300 plus. But I don't, I'm excited. I'm excited for whenever that sells, um, whenever that happens, whenever that occurs, that's going to be exciting. And, and I know that there's, there's, there's this thing about there's some artists who want, they want a percentage of the sales. You know, people are like, oh, I hope Barry Windsor Smith gets a piece of that $170,000. And to that, and as an artist who sold some stuff and had some interior pages go from, for a lot of money, I, I didn't look for a payment off that. Why would I? I sold it. It's like, you can't go back and get, you know, money out of a house that's sold two times after you sold it, but sold for three times what you sold it for? What, how does that work? Like, if you sold it, you sold it. And that's how I was raised. You're honorable. I took my $12,000 for that New Mutants 87. I hope I get to live to see a time when it hits a big number and goes for auction. And I'll be thrilled for who, who, whoever is selling it. I'll be thrilled for them. I'm thrilled that, that my art touched somebody in that way and was able to provide in that way. That's just me. There are people who definitely disagree with me and come from a different point of view, but I don't subscribe to that point of view. But you guys, comic book art is exciting. About an hour ago, I said beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I, I mean it. I, 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 that, that's, that's where I come from. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, buy what you love and hold on to it for as long as you want. And if you want to sell it and you want to, you know, uh, take it to, to market and see what you can get for it, good for you. It's fun. And, and, and I, hope, I hope comics art continues to excite all of us. And if you can get into the medium and get some good pieces or get some random pieces. I was at a show not too long ago and there was a page that was penciled by Ross Andrew, a big time Bronze Age penciler. He did so many issues of Spider-Man and then he went on to do so much work for DC Comics. He did a page of Wonder Woman. It was inked by George Perez. I didn't even know this page existed. It was from an annual. 
but it's clearly Ross Andrew. It's like six, seven panels and George Perez inked it. And it was $150. I bought this about a month ago. I, it, it was a small art show, social distancing in a little hotel room, maybe 10 people all day long. I walked out with $150 page. I love that page. That page is in my forever collection. People call stuff that disappears that you never see. My covers are in a black hole. The, 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 the verbiage, there are grail pieces. You know, that Days of Future Past cover that's going to go for a million dollars someday, that's a grail piece. Everybody wants it. Grail pieces are the stuff that you just, you'll give anything for and you'll keep in your collection. And then that collection is called a black hole collection because the artwork goes in and never comes out. Pretty funny, right? Anyway, you guys, I love talking about comic book art the people who made it, the values that they carry, the opinions that are that go along with it. Um, here's the deal. We're going to circle back. I'm sure we're going to have another session talking about original art. It's super fun. The art of comics is where I live and where I breathe. It's provided for my entire family. Um, you know, I'm putting kids through college now based on comic books. So this is definitely hits home to me. I love the subject. Obviously, I'm very passionate about comic book, comic books art, and sharing it with all of you. You guys, thanks for hanging with me again. Look for me on social media at Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, full Robert Liefeld, no dot, no dash, just Robert Liefeld straight across at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm at Rob Liefeld. Both have blue checks, so you know it's really me and not an imposter. Please visit me, hang out with me, talk with me online, talk with me on Facebook. I'm all over social media. I love hanging with you guys. Um, you guys, you're going to do me a, a favor. You're going to stay safe. Um, you're going to have great holidays because they're coming up and, uh, please take care of yourself and we will talk again real soon.